I have a wonderful story to tell you. Um, I was working today and I was overwhelmed at work and I was really focused on what I was doing. I was deeply uh, enmeshed in what I was doing and my mind was not on spiritual things. My mind was really on what I was doing and all of a sudden I had this complete uh, feeling of being, I, I was just felt, felt like I was being beckoned to go pray. I was overwhelmed by it, uh, so much so that I, I kind of dismissed it, but I, I, couldn't, I couldn't just continue to dismiss it. The Lord just placed this heavy burden to pray upon me. And uh, I eventually put down my computer and went into my den and, and laid down on the floor face down and just began to pray and ask the Lord, you know, why was he calling me aside to pray? I knew there was a purpose, a reason. I prayed for my grandbaby, I prayed for some other people, and then I had this overwhelming urge to pray for my son, Tyler, who lives, he's the police officer that lives in the Twin Cities, and um, I, I was overwhelmed, and I just began to pray with authority and with power, and I was, I was overwhelmed by it, and I, I just continued to lay on that floor and intercede for him and for his wife, and, and I, I was just deep in prayer for them, and I had an idea of what I was praying for. It was not what it turned out to be, but, but, but I just began to really take authority and pray for them and uh, finished praying and got up from that place and the burden had lifted and I went back to my desk and picked up my computer and began to go back to work and the Lord said, now I want you to text him and tell him you just prayed for him. Well, Tyler knows his mom and you know, he already thinks I'm way over the top spiritually, and, and this would not surprise him. But I, uh, in obedience, listened to the Lord, and I sent him a text. I said, hey, bud, just want you to know I was just overwhelmed with the urge to pray for you. Uh, just want you to know that, uh, that I love you, and, and I'm praying for you, and, and I want you to be expectant for God to work in your life today. Didn't think another thing of it, and Went back to work and just continued to work throughout the day. And about 2 o'clock, I got a text message from Tyler. He said, Mama, I just want you to know I'm all right. But I've been in a car accident. He said, the car is totaled. Nobody else was hurt. I'm in a squad on my way to the hospital. Don't worry. I'm fine. Just wanted you to know. <laughs> I said, Bub, where are you? How are you? Your mama needs to know what's going on. And, and, and we began to text back and forth. And then when he got to the hospital, he sent me the pictures of his car. <laughs> um, he sideswiped a telephone pole, which shattered into a million pieces. It was a splintered telephone pole. To me, it just looked like a bunch of toothpicks on the ground. But he assures me that it was a utility pole that saved his life. He said, Mama, you don't understand. He said, a woman stopped to let a runner cross the street. And he said, the runner crossed the street and I was coming around the corner and the woman continued then into traffic and pulled out right in front of me and I swerved to miss her. And he said, and when I did, I heard myself scream out to the Lord to not let me hit the runner, to please let me avoid the runner. The pictures of the telephone pole that, that he sent me shows the sidewalk right out to the side with all the, all the, the splintered telephone pole on the sidewalk. 
I said, did you, did you hit the runner? Did the, the, the telephone pole hit the runner? He said, no, she was uninjured. She actually was the first person that got to his car and said, can I help you? And I said, Tyler, David, I just want you to know about the power of the Lord. And he said, mama, you don't have to tell me. He said, there had to be angels around me. That, that protected me and protected the other people. Uh, he said, the only thing that stopped my car from, from rolling was the telephone pole that I hit. And he said, instead of wrapping my car around it like it should have, it splintered into nothing. And, and, and I am just here to tell you, I share, you that, share that story with you to tell you that, that on, on Saturday, Leslie and I were, were speaking at a conference up north, and, and I was praying and, and talking to the Lord all weekend long, saying to him, Lord, give me a heart for you. I, I have a great husband. I have wonderful friends. I have incredible children. But Lord, I'm just asking you, I don't ever want them to fill the void in me. I, I want to desire you more than anything. I want to hear your voice. I, I want to commune with you. I want to know what it means to get to a whole new place of prayer with you where we are communing and we are one with each other. I prayed that this weekend and I'm telling you, I walked away from that prayer time. I said to Tyler, can you tell me what time your accident was? Because I have a note because I was obedient to the Lord and sent him the text when I didn't want to. I had a record of when I prayed and it was at 1235. And he said, Mama, when I finally got composure uh, back and, and was able to look at my watch, it was 1250. So it must have happened at just about the time that the Lord called me aside to pray. I just want you to know how powerful our God is. I said to Dave, I said to Leslie, why anybody would not want to follow God, I have no idea. Why we are not standing in awe of his power and his ability, I have no idea. Tonight, we're going to talk about God's powerful, his powerful uh, presence. We're going to talk about his ability to, to, to just put all other gods of this world to shame. And I'm telling you, I experienced that, that today at a whole new level. And if God did that for me, I know that he can do it for you. But I believe it was in response to my prayer that I prayed when I said, Lord, I don't want to desire anything more than you. I want to know communion with you. I want to know what it means to talk to you constantly, to invite you into every situation. And I promise you, that is the place that he wants us to live. He is not a far off distant God. He is a God who is at work in our everyday life and wants to be invited into that everyday life. If you have your Bibles, you can open them to Exodus chapter 6, where we left off last week, and we're going to begin talking about the plagues tonight. And, and I just want to warn you ahead of time, I spoke with some of, uh, of you earlier who are new tonight, and, and I, I cautioned uh, those people uh, about being here tonight and, and being able to come back another time, because tonight we are going to really focus just on reading through God's Word. I'm going to try and try to summarize the, oh, there's probably four chapters that these plagues fall into. So we're going to do a lot of reading. Please don't get discouraged. I promise you it'll be worth every moment. Um, but I am a preacher 
I, I don't consider myself a teacher. Uh, I really am a preacher at heart. And so it's very difficult for me to move slowly enough to teach. And so I'm going to try to do that tonight. You all can pray for me. Uh, but we are going to begin looking at the plagues tonight. I want you to just flip back to Exodus chapter 3 just for a moment. And I really want you to realize that the plagues, as you read through them, you might think that it was God responding uh, to Pharaoh uh, in panic. But I really want you to know that the plagues were not an afterthought for God. They were not a panicked reaction. They, they were not an, oh no, what should I do, kind of thinking in response to Pharaoh's hardening his heart. They were part of his strategy for setting his people free. And we're going to see that clearly as we begin to go through these plagues. It's interesting to me that God does not refer to them as plagues. We know them as plagues, but God refers to them as signs and wonders. And it's important that you remember that as we begin to, to look at these plagues tonight. I had you turn back to Exodus chapter 3 because I'd like you to look at verses 19 and 20. This was when God was talking to, to Moses, you will remember, at the burning bush. And he was calling him. He was saying, I have chosen you to deliver my people, to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. You are my chosen deliverer. In verse 19 and 20, he says, but I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not even by a mighty hand. He says, so I will stretch out my hand and I will strike Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in its midst. And after that, he will let you go. So I want you to see that, that God was not surprised by Pharaoh's hardened heart. It's interesting that people will always say, but scripture says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Now, there's a lot of controversy out there about this. And you yourself, even as you read through this, might say, Rhea, it's not fair that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. No, this is the God who knows everything. This is the God who, who already knew that Pharaoh was going to harden his heart against his word. And so he merely allowed the hardening to take place in Pharaoh's heart. And he allowed it for a purpose and a plan. It's interesting in the voice uh, that verse 19 reads like this, but I already know that Egypt's king will turn down your requests. He will not allow you to go unless he's compelled by a stronger hand than his own. So I will stretch out my hand and display my power and crush Egypt with a series of miracles I will perform. And after that, the king will send you out of Egypt. See, none of what we're going to study tonight is taking God by surprise. God knew Pharaoh's heart. He knew that he, what it was going to take to set his people free. This weekend, I, I was teaching about the cripple by the pool of Bethesda. And, and as I taught, I, I read the scripture that said, in God, and Jesus saw him lying there by the pool of Bethesda and knew that he had been in that condition a long time. And, and what was interesting to me is that when Jesus saw him lying there, the word saw means to see and to inspect and to ascertain what must be done about it. 
And he knew, and the word know there is a Jewish idiom for sexual intercourse. In other words, God took one look at the pool at the, of the cripple by the pool of Bethesda, and he looked at his situation, and he already ascertained what needed to be done about it. And he knew him. He knew him intimately. He knew everything about him, and he knew what it was going to take to bring him to a place of healing and wholeness. And you see, God knew Pharaoh. He knew him intimately. He knew everything about him. He knew that he had a stubborn heart. In fact, so much so that he warned Moses about it. And in his infinite wisdom, he had already ascertained what needed to be done about it. He already knew what it was going to take to change his heart to get him to set his people free. God was going to get Pharaoh's attention through the plagues. And not only was he going to get Pharaoh's attention, he was going to convince his own people of his power. You see, you, you say, well, Rhea, they were his people. They knew his power. No, 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 they didn't. You see, it's possible to be a believer, to be a follower uh, of God and still not be convinced of the power of God, to follow him all of your life and still not be convinced uh, of the power of God. And we see that in, in the disciples. They watched Jesus feed 5,000 people. Listen to this. 5,000 people with five loaves and two fishes. Can you imagine? And that was just the men. The women and children were not included in that number. So he fed well over probably 10,000 people with five loaves and two fishes, and he had 12 baskets of leftovers. That's my Jesus. So that's a miracle, is it not? And so immediately after that miracle that his disciples witnessed, they didn't just witness it, they had to pick up the leftovers. So they knew, oh my goodness gracious, we gave him a little boy's lunch with five loaves and two fishes, and he fed this multitude of people, and we are picking up 12, 12 baskets of leftovers. Now, they, they witnessed that miracle. And the Bible says that immediately he put them into a boat and he made them, he compelled them to go across the lake and a storm arose. I believe a storm he caused to arise. And they're terrified and they think that they're going to die. And Jesus walks to them on the water and what does he say? He says, it is I, don't be afraid. And then he says, they didn't understand about the loaves because their heart was hardened. That bothers me because we're going to read about Pharaoh's heart being hardened. And yet we think of him, oh, it was wicked Pharaoh, and that's why his heart was hardened. I'm just going to tell you it's possible for believers to harden their heart, for believers to see the power of God one minute and then the next have a, have a faith failure and question whether God even loves them and he's even with them and he, and he even cares about them. See, that's what we saw in the disciples. Jesus said their hearts were, that they didn't understand the power of God that was on display in that miracle because they had hardened their hearts. Oh, there's danger in hardening our hearts. And God so wants us to trust him. He so wants us to, to, to exercise our faith that he is who he says he is and he will always do what he says he will do. He invites us into positions where we have to trust him because he wants to increase our faith. 
And I believe that's what he was doing here with Pharaoh. It was a showdown between God and, and, and Pharaoh. And we're going to see that as we begin to look through these scriptures. We read last week in Exodus 5 that Moses and Aaron, when they went to Pharaoh, uh, they, they, he said, let my people go. And what did Pharaoh say to Moses and Aaron? He said, thus says the Lord, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, who is the Lord that I should obey him? See, Pharaoh saw himself as a God. The, the people around him saw him as a God. And he was saying, who is the Lord that I should obey him? Do you know who you're talking to? And I'm my own God, and I don't have to do what God says. And I just want to challenge you tonight, and I want to ask you, are you in that same kind of position where you aren't going to be as verbal as Pharaoh maybe, but do you ever say, who is God? Who is the Lord, master, <laughs> I'm the slave, that I should obey him? You know, maybe you're not as, as vocal about it as Pharaoh was, but what about when God says to you, I want you to forgive this person, forgive because I have forgiven you, and you say, who are you, Lord, that I should obey you? Do you know what they've done to me? Do you know how much they've hurt me? He's the Lord, and if he says do something, he says it for our benefit, and yet we harden our heart against his word, just like Pharaoh did. Who is the Lord that I should obey him? I think that's the theme of life even today in 2019. And that was Pharaoh's question. And God was about to demonstrate him demonstrate to him just who the Lord was. And as we read through the next couple chapters, I want you to take note how many times God says, in order that you may know, that you may understand, that you may come to a point of knowledge and realize that I am the Lord. And he's doing the, these plagues. He's bringing this judgment upon the land of Egypt and Pharaoh because he wants to prove to them that he is the Lord, that he is God and there is no other. Do you know how many gods the Egyptians worshipped? One commentator said they had 114 little g gods. But there is one true God. And we are about to see his power on display. Uh, Exodus 7, if you want to flip over to, the, to Exodus 7, Exodus 7 begins, and remember it's coming off that scripture last week that we ended with, when, when God said to, to Moses, Moses was like, now the, the Israelites don't believe me anymore, Pharaoh isn't intimidated by me anymore, who am I, Lord? What are you doing? You told me you were going to use me to deliver the Israelites, and now nobody even believes a word I'm saying, and God said to him, just wait till I show you what I'm going to do to Pharaoh. And so we're picking up in chapter 7, and, and God says to Aaron and Moses, if, when you go to Pharaoh, I want you to show, show him this miracle. I want you to show, throw down the staff of God. And we all know what happens when he throws down the staff of God. It turns into a snake. And, and it wasn't a big deal to Pharaoh. He wasn't impressed. Hashtag not impressed. Because what he did is he called his magicians and his sorcerers and, and, and those involved in the occult. Because who knows, the occult has a little bit of power. Don't fool yourself. The enemy has a little bit of power. But God 
has power over all. And we are about to see that. And so Pharaoh summoned his magicians and his sorcerers, and he brings them in, and they reproduce the same, the same sign. And he, they throw down their, their, their staffs, and they all turn to snakes. But guess what? Aaron's staff, the staff of God, swallows up all of their snakes. Don't you just love it? They might be able to reproduce it, but there is no power like God's. But look what happened in response to that. Verse 13, if you see chapter 7, verse 13, and Pharaoh's heart grew cold and he did not heed them. As the Lord had said, he saw this miraculous sign and wonder. He saw Aaron's staff swallow up his own magician's staff. And the Bible says it didn't even matter to him. He hardened his heart. He saw this miraculous thing take place and yet hardened his heart to it. I like the voice. It says, and still Pharaoh's heart was as hard as stone. He did not pay any attention to what Moses and Aaron said, just as the eternal had predicted. And so we see the plagues were critical. God gave him a chance. God displayed his power in front of him, and yet Pharaoh was not convinced. So chapter 6, I said, God said to Moses, wait till you see what's in store, what I have in store for Pharaoh. The voice says, now wait till you see what I have in store for Pharaoh. When Pharaoh sees the power of my hand, he will not only send my people out from this land, he will drive them out. You see, the plagues were going to be about God showing his power to Pharaoh and getting him into a position where he would not only let his people go, but he would force them out. He would say, just get Get out of town. I want nothing to do with you. And that's what we're going to see is going to happen. Turn over to Exodus chapter 7, verses 14 through 18. And this is where uh, the plagues begin. This is after Pharaoh hardens his heart once again. And verse 14 says, So the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hard. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning when he goes out to the water, and you shall stand by the river's bank to meet him. And the rod which was turned to a serpent you shall take in your hand. And you shall say to him, the Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me to you, saying, let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But indeed, until now you would not hear. Thus says the Lord, by this you shall know I am the Lord. Behold, I will strike the waters which are in the river with the rod that is in my hand, and they shall be turned to blood. And the fish that are in the river shall die, and the river shall stink, and the Egyptians will loathe to drink the water of the, of the river. Now remember, who is, who is the Lord that I should obey him? God says, I am about to show you, and by this you will know that I am the Lord. We see it in this passage. The thing that floors me about this story is that it didn't have to be this way. And it doesn't have to be this way for you and I either. You see, God means what he says. We have to understand that. Do you understand that the Bible is full of commands that God means? He didn't just say them to, to entertain himself or to, to write a book. He wrote them because he means them. And so when God said to Pharaoh, let my people go, he meant it. 
And Pharaoh could easily have responded to that command the first time. And he could have let God's people go. And I'm just going to tell you, if he had done that, the Egyptians would have been fine. They would have continued to prosper. They would have been fine even without the the Israelites. Because following God's word is always a blessing. It is always a blessing. But Pharaoh instead hardened his heart. And all of the pain and the heartache that we are about to read about could have been avoided if he had just listened to God. I want you to note the number of times in the scriptures we're about to read that said all, all of Egypt was affected. All of the animals were affected. All of the beasts of the field were affected. All of the firstborns were affected. I I want you to note that because, because of Pharaoh's hard heart, it didn't just affect him, it affected everybody around him. And you see, when we disobey God's word, when we don't do what God commands us, it doesn't just hurt us. It affects everybody around us. Now flip over to Exodus chapter 7, verses 20 and 21. So Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded. He lifted up the rod and struck the waters that were in the river in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants. And all the waters that were in the river turned to blood. The fish that were in the river died and the river stank and the Egyptians could not drink the water of the river. So there was blood throughout all the land of of Egypt. Now, you need to know that the Nile was the life source for the Egyptians. Remember, it's in a desert. And the Nile was their life source. And it was also the center for their economic well-being. Commentators say that well water would have been contaminated and they couldn't drink from that source. They depended on the Nile. They needed water from the Nile to live, to bathe, to cook. They needed the fish that were in the Nile. Uh, They needed them to live off for their food source. And they didn't have bottled water like you and I have. There were no other water sources. And now the water that they depended on was polluted with blood. And the fish were dying. What happens to dead fish in hot weather? It starts to stink. And have you ever smelled old blood? Can you imagine the stench that, that began to permeate that area? And verse 25 says it didn't just last 24 hours. It lasted for seven days. Can you imagine how miserable that must have been? Do you have the picture in your mind? The thing they depended on, the the thing that they put their stock in, the thing that they leaned on for life was polluted because God had touched it. You also need to know that the Egyptians worshiped the God of the Nile. And by, it strikes me, its name was Happy. H-A-P-I, but still happy is the name. And, and it was the God of the flooding of the water. Offerings were made to her by throwing, they threw food into the Nile as an offering to her. And, and they, they expected her to bring a yearly flood that, that would cause the land to prosper and, and there to be abundance in the land. The floods brought life to a barren land. And it was such a picture. You see, every one of these plagues was not just about God striking something to make them miserable. It was about God coming against one of their gods and proving to them that their gods, the gods of that world were nothing compared to him, that he was the one and only true God. Can I just tell you that we have gods that we worship, little G gods, that we say, oh Lord, we're going to bow down to this. He says, I am a jealous God. And I will have no other gods before me. 
And he will prove his power in your life every single time when you raise another God up against him. These plagues were not God's wrath. I believe they were God's mercy. I believe he was saying to the people of Egypt and to Pharaoh, there is only one true God who offers the flooding. He wants to flood us with springs of living water. He wants to overflow our life with with the waters of life. He wants to, to prosper us and to take us to a place of abundance no little G God could ever do. So these plagues were really God's mercy, his mercy in pointing out that happy or any other God was not going to do it for them. But instead, look what happens in verse 23. And Pharaoh turned and went out into his house, and his heart was not moved by this. The voice says Pharaoh turned and went back to his house without giving a wondrous miracle a second thought. He was unconcerned. He was unaffected. He, one Jewish writing says that, that his translation was, so you've taken my water, I can drink wine. Not a big deal. Is there no end to the hardness of his heart? You see, Pharaoh made a huge mistake thinking God didn't mean what he said. And we make the same, same mistake on a daily basis. We must begin to value God's word and to believe that he means what he says. But our finite minds can't comprehend his ways are really the best ways. That, that, that his commands are for our good and not our harm. You heard me speak a number of weeks ago about studying Psalm 16, and and I really like it in the Passion Translation. It says, O Lord, your pleasant path leads me to pleasant places. Do you understand that God's ways are always the right way? That, That his pleasant path will always lead to pleasant places. His command will always bring life to us. And yet we 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 fight against it and we harden our heart to it and to his word. Some commentators believe the plagues were aimed at showing the Egyptians how powerless their gods were. So keep in mind and remember that the purposes of these plagues was so that Pharaoh might know the God of Israel was the God of Egypt as well. So seven days passed, and I can just imagine that that once that water cleared up, that Pharaoh was thinking, you know what, not a big deal, wasn't that bad, that God must be pretty weak. He's probably, he was probably congratulating himself for not caving in and letting God's people go. See, it's all fine. And isn't that funny how we can be that way when we get a reprieve in life, when things are peachy keen, honky-dory, we can start to think, God, isn't really that big a deal. I can do whatever I want and get away with it. But who knows that God's commands cannot be resisted. They always come with a cost. And there's never anything to be gained by resisting God. Only pain and hardship. Look at chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. So the Lord spoke to Moses. Go to Pharaoh again and say to him, can't you imagine over and over in these plagues, we're going to see God. Several of them, uh, God doesn't announce it, but, but most of them he tells Pharaoh to go, or he tells Moses to go to Pharaoh and wait for him. Station yourself so that when he comes, you're standing there. Can't you just imagine eventually after 10 of these plagues where Pharaoh's like, oh, there he is again. I mean, I can't even imagine what he must be thinking. And so God is saying, you know, go to Pharaoh and say, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite all of your territory with frogs. Now, some of you might like frogs. You might think they're cute. Uh, Leslie's daughter, Haley, when she was growing up, had a a frog named Rhea. (laughs) 
She thought they were cute. Um, but, but frogs are not cute in my mind. And especially, this scripture says they're going to be everywhere. Let's, let's look at it. So the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly, which shall go up and come into your house, into your bedroom, on your bed, into the houses of your servants, on your people, on your people, on your people. I'm walking down the street and there's a frog sitting on my head. I'm sitting in my chair and there are frogs in my laps. I'm in my bed and I wake up in the morning and my bed is filled with frogs. If God said it, I believe it. On your people, in your ovens, and into your kneading bowls. Just in case you thought anything was not affected, even your kneading bowl is going to have frogs. You open your cupboard and they're full of frogs. I can't, can you imagine what that must have looked like? Your kneading bowls, you're, you're making bread, you got some dough in there, you're working really hard and whoop, there goes a frog. You, you pull your, your bread out of the oven and there's a frog baked right into the middle of it. Can you just imagine what that must have been like? And the frogs shall come up on you and on your people and all your servants. <laughs> Can you just imagine? Everywhere you go, in your pictures, in your clothing, go to get clothing on, and there's frogs in my clothing. And uh, Leslie and Don uh, took us to, to Florida in, in the fall, and they were very kind and, and took us there for a trip. And Dave and I went out at night to go for a walk and it was dark and we couldn't see where we were going. And they had these little teeny tiny frogs on the sidewalk and I stepped on one Ugh, and I can still feel it. When I was riding this, all I could think about was the squish that I felt when I stepped on that frog. Can you imagine? The land would have been covered with frogs everywhere they stepped, bullfrogs. They were stepping on a frog. Can you imagine what that must have been like? That wasn't bad enough. Pharaoh summoned his magicians. Oh, you think you're hotsy totsy? Watch what my magicians can do. Now the land is covered with them. What do the magicians do? They make more of them. So now, the, the, really, that worked out good for you, Pharaoh. Way to use your head. Because this time, even though the, the magicians could make them, they couldn't make them go away. They just made more appear. It's interesting that, again, it was an assault against Egypt's gods. Egypt worshipped a god who, who was, had the head of a frog. It was a fertility god. Uh, frogs reproduced rapidly, and so that they were associated with the god of fertility. And frogs were not just a picture of fertility, they, they were also a picture of fruitfulness. Uh, about, it was a picture of success. People that wanted to succeed in business would have a frog statue there. They would pray to the frog God for it to be fruitful and, and be successful. And I love this. I love that God was like, oh, you want to be fruitful, all right? Let me show you fruitful. Let's cover the whole land with them. And everywhere you go, you're going to be reminded of them. How's that? And so Pharaoh summons Moses and Aaron, and I love it because those magicians, they couldn't reproduce them, uh, but they could not make, the, they could reproduce them, but they couldn't make them go away. Victor Hamilton says, all pagan magic could do was introduce evil, but once having introduced it, cannot rid it. God's work can be imitated, but never equaled. And so all of these frogs, a picture of fruitfulness, uh, a picture of success, begin to just uh, come upon the people, and they were tormented by them. Everywhere they went, they, they, there was a frog, and there was nothing they could do about it. That's what success does for us sometimes, doesn't it? The drive to succeed, the drive to, to, be, to be fruitful, the drive to be a perfectionist, sometimes it just torments, doesn't it? 
And so Pharaoh calls him in verse 8, and he says, Entreat the Lord, intercede for me, that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go that they may sacrifice to the Lord. Now, you need to know that frogs were considered sacred. Notice Pharaoh's verbiage. He says, take them away from me and from my people. It just made me giggle because God doesn't take them away. He kills them off and he leaves them in heaps all through Egypt. So now what's going to happen? We have the Nile and the dead fish and the stench, but now we got dead frogs everywhere and heaps of them. Can you picture it in your mind? And the Bible says that the land began to stink. There was stench throughout the land. So God takes them away, but he lets them there to clean up. Now look at verse 15, one of the saddest verses in this passage. It says, but when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and did not heed them as the Lord had said. And he decided, I'm not going to let the people go. You, you gave me some relief, Lord. You gave me some breathing room. You, you, you took it away. Isn't that how we are? We're, we're, we're entreating God. We're telling people to intercede for us. We're crying out to God when everything seems bad. But the second there's relief, hmm, we harden our heart again. We go back to our old ways again. Pharaoh promised to let the people go, but when there was relief, he hardened his heart again. And notice that each time we harden our heart, it gets easier and easier to do. It gets more and more callous. But what amazes me is the God of mercy that we see here. He gave him chance after chance after chance to repent and heed his word. So the land stank, and I bet that's a, an understatement. <laughs> um, Leslie and I were driving uh, up to an event on Saturday, and we passed a dead animal on the road. And Leslie, am I lying? The whole car filled with stench from that dead animal. And I was like, oh, something died. But we were driving through, and so it was only a few minutes that the car filled with that stench, and then it faded away as we got further away from that dead animal. Think about it. The Egyptians were living amidst that, that stench day in and day out. Can you imagine what it must have been like for them? Now we see the third plague because Pharaoh again hardened his heart. Chapter 8, verse 16. So the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your rod and strike the dust of the land that it may become lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And they did so. For Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod and struck the dust of the earth, and it became lice on man and beast. All the dust of the land became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. Now the magicians so worked with their enchantments to bring forth lice, but they could not. So there were lice on man and beast. Then the magicians said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not lead them, heed them just as the Lord had said. Now, I want you to notice that, that the other plagues were announced. This plague was not announced. He didn't say to Pharaoh, he didn't say to Moses, go stand and say this to Pharaoh. It just came unannounced. And because he hardened his heart again, another plague had to come. It's interesting that word lice, I really don't like the word lice, and I'd prefer it to be lice, but, but some commentators translate it as gnats. Uh, and if you look up the word in the original language, it means biting, stinging insects. Uh, Chuck Swindoll says, a gnat is a word that describes a biting, stinging insect that penetrates nostrils and the ears of its victims. Can you imagine? It would be enough to drive you crazy, would it not? 
Some commentators say uh, mosquitoes and maggots would have been included in this as well. Uh, and, and it wasn't just a few here and there. It was swarms of them. The whole land was filled with them. They were overwhelmed. It was darkened with, with, with these swarms of insects and gnats. And, and they couldn't escape them. They were everywhere. And their, 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 their livestock, can you imagine what that would have been like for cattle and sheep with, with gnats trying to get in their ears and their nostrils all the time? Have you ever been in a swarm of gnats? Now imagine the whole atmosphere being permeated with them. And it hurts, that's right. So there were swarms of gnats and, or lice. Lice really kind of grossed me out more than the gnats. I kind of really want it to be lice. Itchy, uh, yeah. Either one, it, it doesn't matter. It was not a good thing. Uh, and it would, have been, it would have driven them crazy. And notice what happens. Again, God brings relief. He brings relief. And it's such a picture of relief only coming from God. Here is this thing that's irritating them. Here is this thing that's tormenting them. Here is this thing that's overwhelming them. I wonder if any of you have things that irritate and overwhelm and try to, to just torment you. Can I tell you the only relief that can be found is from God? And that's what we see here. And you want to just say, Pharaoh, when are you going to get this? And notice that the, the Egyptians could not reproduce this plague. And that shows us that the power of the enemy is limited and it cannot rival God's. Notice that the Egyptians even had to, or the magicians even had to admit that this was the finger of God. That's so interesting to me because this is the last time we hear from the, the, from the magicians. They are not there with Pharaoh saying, come on, reproduce this anymore. They've reached their limit of what they can, they can reproduce and they have to admit that this was the finger of God. And yet the showdown continues. Verse 20 and 21. The Lord said to Moses, rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh as he comes out to the water. Then say to him, thus says the Lord. You think he would get tired of hearing this? Let my people go that they may serve me or else. I love the or else. Or else if you will not let my people go, I will send swarms, again, swarms, of flies on you and your servants and your people and into your houses and the house of the Egyptians shall be full. The houses will be full of swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. But this time something's different. He said, I'm going to set apart my people. They're not going to be affected by this plague. It's going to be like there is an impenetrable force around the, the land of Goshen. And my people are going to be protected uh, from this, these plagues now. And you're going to see the distinction between my people and what you're doing. Don't you want to live a life that looks so different than the world around you? that they have to look at you and see the distinction. They have to look at you and say, there's something so different about him. There's something so different about her that there's such a distinction between you and the unbeliever down the street. This time, um, we see in verse 22 that they set apart the land of Goshen. And even though God's people were affected by the first three plagues, they were now going to be spared. And he says, I'm doing this so that you may know that I am the Lord, that you will know by experience, that you'll be able to recognize and finally admit that I am the Lord. But look at verse 24. The Lord did so. Thick swarms of flies came into the house of Pharaoh, into his servant's house, and all the land of Egypt. 
and the land was corrupted by swarms of flies. That word swarms means a mixture. And so it would have been a mixture of all kinds of insects. Chuck Swindoll says there would have been flying beetles, there would have been spiders, there would have been fleas, there would have been flies, there would have been biting flies, there would have been all kinds of creepy insects <laughs> in the land, <laughs> covering the ground they walked on, sitting in bed at night and a spi all spiders just dropping down. Can, can you Imagine, we, we play this down, and we, we aren't affected by it, but I'm telling you, this is the Lord. Then Pharaoh called for Moses, I bet he did. Verse 25, and he said, go sacrifice to your God in the land. Notice he said, Pharaoh, Moses said, I want to leave and go to the wilderness for three days. And God says, okay, or Pharaoh says, okay, you can go, but you're staying here in the land in Egypt. And Moses says, no, that's not going to work because we'll be an abomination to your people and they're going to stone us. We have to leave. We have to go someplace else. So Pharaoh says, I will let you go that you may sacrifice to the Lord God in the wilderness, but don't go very far away and intercede for me. Make this stop. This is uncomfortable. Please make it stop. Then Moses said, Indeed, I'm going to go out from you, and I will entreat the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart tomorrow from Pharaoh. I love that he made it overnight. From his servants and from his people. But let Pharaoh not deal deceitfully anymore in not letting the people go sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh, out from the swarms of flies that he could have been immune to if he had just stayed in Goshen, but he went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. He removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, from his people. Not one remained. Verse 32. What did Pharaoh do? But Pharaoh hardened his heart. Neither would he let the people go. So... Chapter 9, then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh and tell him, thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will be on your cattle in the field and on the horses, on the donkeys, on the sheep, on the camels, a very severe pestilence. And the Lord will make a difference between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt so that nothing shall die that belongs to the children of the Lord. Then the Lord set an appointed time saying, there's an appointed time, can I tell you? You might think you're escaping it right now, but there's a time when if you harden your heart enough, there's an appointed time. Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. So the Lord did this thing the next day and all the livestock of Egypt died, but the livestock of the children of Israel, not one died. Now I want you to think about this. The fish of the, of the water and the Nile have died the swarms of flies, the gnats came and, and, and irritated and probably brought disease into the livestock. And now a pestilence has come and all the livestock of the Egyptians have died. Don't miss that. So then Pharaoh sent and indeed not even one of the livestock of the Israelites was dead, but his heart became hard and he did not let the people go. So verse eight, the Lord said to Moses, Take for yourself hands full of ashes, no warning here, from a furnace, and let Moses scatter it towards the heaven in the sight of Pharaoh. And it will become fine dust in all the land of Egypt, and it will cause boils that break out in sores on man and beast. Any animals that were left now are going to get boils. 
throughout all the land of Egypt. They took ashes from the furnace and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses scattered them towards heaven. They caused boils that break out in sores on man and beast, and the magicians could not stand before Moses because the boils, for the boils were on the magicians and all of the Egyptians. But Pharaoh hardened his heart, and he did not heed as the Lord had said. Think about this. You've got boils all over your body, and you're still not moved. Anybody here besides me would finally say, Lord, just take them. Just let them go. Get them out of here. I don't want to face this anymore. Whatever it's going to take. Amen. Not Pharaoh. So he says, <laughs> I'm going to show you, I'm going to show you that my power and my name will be declared in all the earth. You have exalted yourself against my people, and you will not let them go. So behold, tomorrow, about this time, I will cause very heavy hail to rain down, such as not been in Egypt since its founding until now. And then he gives a warning. He says, I'm warning you. If you're hearing me and you believe what I'm saying, you should by now, then go run for cover and get your livestock under cover. And the Bible says that some of Pharaoh's people believed God. And they went, they ran for cover, and they took their animals and, and, and ran for cover, but most didn't. So he stretched out his hand towards heaven. Hail fell on the land of Egypt, on man, on beast, and every herb of the field. Now he's going to get the crops, too. Took care of the livestock, now he's going to get the crops. And Moses stretched out his rod towards heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire darted into the ground. And the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. So there was hail, the fire mingled with the hail, so very heavy, and there was none like it in all the land of Egypt since. And the hail struck through the whole land of Egypt, all that was in the field, both man and beast, and the hail struck every herb of the field and broke every tree of the field, only in the land of Goshen, they weren't touched. Now, I want you to think about it. Now we've lost the livestock, we've lost the fish. <laughs> now we're going to get every crop in the field. All the trees are going to be taken down. And now they have to stand in Egypt and look over to the land of Goshen and see their cattle are in the field grazing, their sheep are grazing, their trees are big and beautiful and blooming. There's no hail over there. There's no thunder and lightning over there. Do you just love your God? Do you just love your God? Don't ever limit his power. And then Moses says to, to Pharaoh, I know in verse 30 that you do not yet fear God. How in the world can that be? How do you get that hard a heart that you don't even fear God after all of this? And when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased because he asked Moses to stop it and God had mercy and stopped it, oh, the mercy of God, he sinned even more, verse 34, and he hardened his heart he and his servants now hardened their heart. So the heart of Pharaoh was hard. Neither would he let the children of Israel go. Now my favorite, and I want to read it to you in the voice, and I promise I'm finishing. The voice, chapter 10. I, I want you to hear this. <laughs> oh, boy, we love you. Chapter 10. This is God speaking to Moses. He says, go pay Pharaoh another visit. I have made his heart and his servants' hearts as hard as stone so that I can perform my wondrous signs among them and reveal my power. 
I have done all of these things so that you can tell your children and grandchildren stories of how I treated the cruel Egyptians with contempt and performed my signs among them. I have all done all of this so that you may believe I am the eternal. Today when I called Tyler, I just kept saying to him, Bub, I just need you to know. I need you to understand the power of God, Tyler. Do you understand that he called me aside to pray for you? Do you understand that that could have turned out so much differently? Do you know how powerful God is, Ty? Do you know how much he must love you. You see, God did it so that I could proclaim to my children and my grandchildren all the miraculous things he has done. Are you telling your children those things? Are you, are you talking to your children about God? Are you talking to your grandchildren about God? Or do you worry way too much of what they're going to think about you? He says, I'm doing this so that you can tell your grandchildren and your children's stories about me and that they may know that I am the eternal so once again, Moses and Aaron went to see Pharaoh. Oh my goodness, can you imagine what Pharaoh's thinking? They said, the eternal, the God of the Hebrews, has a message for you. How long do you plan to resist me? I think that's a word for somebody tonight. How long do you plan to resist God? That's right. How long do you plan to resist me and refuse to humble yourself before me? Release my people so that they can go and serve me in the desert. If you refuse to release my people tomorrow, I will fill your land with locusts, and they will blanket the ground. There will be so many that you will not even be able to see the ground. The locusts will devour every crop the hail did not destroy, and their horde will strip every tree that grows in your fields. They will fill every corner of your houses and your servants' houses and all the Egyptian houses. This will be a spectacle that none of your ancestors have ever seen, never from that day that they were born until this present day. You see what he's doing? He's now clearing the land of everything. Starvation will, for the majority of the Egyptians is becoming a reality now. How far they've come. Remember when Joseph went to Egypt, he went there because they were the only people with grain. They were the only people in the midst of the famine that had food. And now they were being stripped of everything. Moses then turned and left Pharaoh. So Pharaoh's servants came to him and said, how much longer will you let this man trap us? Why don't you just release the people and let them go serve the eternal, their God? Look around you. Don't you see that Egypt is in ruins? Then Pharaoh had Moses and Aaron brought back to him. Pharaoh says, some of your people may go and serve this God of yours. I love that. Serve this God of yours, the eternal, but not all. So who will be going with you? Now, Moses is not going to compromise here. He's not making a deal. He's not bargaining with Pharaoh. He, he says, no, all of us must go, the young and the old. We will take our sons, our daughters, our flocks, and our herds with us. We are all going into the desert to celebrate the great festival to the eternal. Pharaoh says, the eternal had better be with you if you really think I'm going to let you take your little ones with you. Look, I know you have some evil plan. I can see it in your face. No, I will allow you to take only the men to go and serve the eternal one, since that is what you've been asking for all along. Then Pharaoh had Moses and Aaron thrown out. So God said to Moses, <laughs> stretch your hand. 
Dave had to, Dave was laughing at me as I was studying. He, I, he was sitting in the room with me and I kept giggling and he kept saying, what? Because it just made me giggle. Then God, the Eternal, said to Moses, stretch out your hand over Egypt and call forth the locusts so that they may invade Egypt and devour anything that grows on the earth and everything the hail did not destroy. Then Moses raised his staff over the land of Egypt and the Eternal directed the east wind to blow over all the land day and night. When the morning dawned, the east wind brought with it a cloud of locusts. They dropped from the sky and overran the, the land of Egypt from <clears throat> one end to the other. Countless numbers of them swarmed in the air and crawled all over the ground. Never had there been, nor would there ever be again, such a swarm of locusts in Egypt. Pharaoh immediately sent for Moses and Aaron. I just bet he did. But now he says, I have sinned against the eternal, your God, and against you. Now please forgive me just this once and pray to the eternal, your God, and ask him to take away this plague of death from me. Now he's sorry. It looks good. It sounds good. It, it looks like repentance, but really it's not. It's what the scripture calls worldly sorrow, not godly repentance. You see, I'm just going to tell you, church, I think we're full of this. I think when life gets hard, when things go wrong, when everything seems to be falling apart around us, we call out to God and we're like, God, help me. It's, it's what we call foxhole prayers, you know, where, God, if you get me out of this, I'll do whatever you want me to do. But then when relief comes, what does Pharaoh do? Hardens his heart again. <laughs> but I love that God responded and he relented. And Pharaoh hardens his heart once again and says, I'm not going to let the people go. So he says to Moses, get out of here and never come back again. If you ever try to see my face again, I will have you killed. Verse 21, I want you to see this. This is before he says that to him. He says, um, he hardened his heart again, and the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand towards the heaven that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt. Look at verse 21, darkness which may even be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand towards heaven, and there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. Can you imagine now it's pitch dark, and the commentators I read said that it was so dark that they couldn't even see their hand in front of their face, that there was no light whatsoever, that it was so dark that they were afraid to move from their place. Now, do you know why they were afraid to move from their place? Gnats, snakes, hail, mosquitoes, lice, bugs, spiders, frogs. They had no idea what was coming next. And, and they're in pitch dark. What's he going to bring now? Can you imagine what they're thinking? And yet, they could see in the land of Goshen, light. God's people were not affected. Then Pharaoh called to Moses. Now Moses is coming out in the hail. He came in the swarms of locusts. He came, and now he's coming in the darkness. Go and serve the Lord. Only let your flocks and your herds be kept back. Let your little ones also go with you. But Moses said, no, you must give us sacrifices and burnt offerings that we will be sacrificed to the Lord. Our livestock is going with us. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. And that's when Moses, when Pharaoh said, just get away from me. I don't even want to see you. I'm going to kill you if I ever see you again. And, and, and this is where our story ends, with Moses saying, you are exactly right. You're never going to see me again. 
because this is the end of the beginning. And we are going to see next week where the people of Israel are finally let go. You say, well, Rhea, why did we have to learn about all of these plagues? We had to learn about them because I really want you to see the importance of not hardening your heart. When God says something, he means it. You say, well, Rhea, there's grace. There is absolutely grace. But I'm telling you, God's word is his fence of protection. A number of years ago, I was, I was going home to Pennsylvania to visit my parents, and I had all of our seven children in the van with me, and, and our son Mike was sitting up front with me, and all of the kids had their headphones on, and they were asleep, but Mike was, you know, he's super responsible, and he was sitting up front with me to make sure that I stayed awake, and and I was kind of, you know, just off in la-la land as I'm driving. And, and, and we were on this highway where there was four lanes of traffic this way and then a median and then four lanes of traffic the other way. And, and all of a sudden, Mike yells, watch out. And I look up and there's a massive, the biggest buck I've ever seen in my life standing on the berm of the road. And I knew he was going to jump. It looked like he was about to jump out in front of me. And you know what's coming. There's no way with all the traffic that was on that highway, he was ever going to make it across without getting killed. And, and, and Mike said to me, I just don't understand why he had to jump that fence. And I looked and there was a fence the whole length of the highway. And behind that fence, on the other side of the fence, was beautiful meadow, and it, it had a, a wooded area behind it. And, and he said, I just don't understand why he had to jump that fence. And, 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 I, and I was thinking at that time, you see, that fence was put there for that buck's protection. The, the highway, the people that put the highway in knew that there would be animals and, 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 and beautiful buck that would, would want to come up on the highway. And so that fence was put there for their protection. But you see, that buck just had to know what was on the other side of that fence. He had to believe that there was something better on the other side of the fence. And little did he know that death was about to come. And can I just tell you, this is God's fence of protection for us. And yet we look at it and we say, God, you're limiting me. God, you won't let me have this. God, you're denying me fun. And we want to jump the fence. And little do we realize that death is coming. Little do we realize that death is coming. It is a fence of protection. Remember, these plagues were a showdown between good and evil, between a righteous God and a man who thought himself God that knew better. And he ignored every warning of God. And my question for you tonight in closing is, do we? Do we turn a deaf ear to the words and the commands of God? Do we harden our hearts to what he tells us? Do we stubbornly refuse to obey like Pharaoh? Do we think we know better? I just am struck as I studied this week how all of this could have been avoided if Pharaoh would have just done what God asked him to do. There's a little bit of Pharaoh in all of us. That's a good name for the message, Floyd. There's a little bit of Pharaoh in all of us where we harden our heart to what God tells us to do. And little do we know the trouble that we're bringing on ourselves. Not the wrath of God. You need to understand this is not about the wrath of God. This is about the mercy of God. The mercy of God. Over and over and over, we see God relenting and showing mercy. He wanted Pharaoh to do what he said to do. And he wants the same for you and I. This is a fence of protection for us. God's pleasant path always leads 
to pleasant places. He doesn't give us those commands because he's a dictator God and he doesn't want us to be happy. He gives us those commands because he knows they bring life and they're the only way to life. So next week, we'll continue in, in chapter 11. Look how many chapters we got through this week. Are you proud of me? <laughs> and, and we will talk about how uh, Moses is going to begin uh, the deliverance of God's people. It's going to be fascinating. We are almost to the tabernacle. It's my very favorite part of this study. I'm so excited to get there. And um, are you being blessed? Are you encouraged? Yeah, it's a good, it's a good study. So I'm going to ask Ian to come and just close. And I just want to pray for you uh, before we leave. Father God, you are mighty to save. You are mighty to deliver. You want your people free, Lord God. And Florida is right. There's a little bit of Pharaoh in each one of us. Lord, I pray that tonight, even as Ian is closing, that we would examine our hearts and we would ask ourselves, is there anywhere that we've hardened our heart to your word? That we've heard you speak your word to us, that we've read your word, and yet we've, we've turned a callous, stubborn heart to it and refused to do what you tell us to do. Lord, your commands are not burdensome. Your yoke is easy. Your burden is light. And so, Father, I pray that throughout this week we'd be mindful of your word. That we'd ask you to just examine us and see, Lord God, if there's any wicked way in us, if there's anything that, that we've hardened our heart to, Lord, that you, that you have you put your finger on because you want to bring life to us. Lord, reveal yourself to us in even greater measure, I pray in Jesus' name. I just want to flesh this out for you before I let you go. This week as I was studying, I was asking the Lord, I, I, you know I'm big on fleshing scripture out. Lord, give me practical application to my life. And I was asking him in my own life, there's somebody that, that has hurt me deeply. More deeply than anyone has ever hurt me in my life. And every time I forgive, they hurt me again. And I get to the point where I say, you got to be kidding me, Lord, that you're asking me to forgive them again. Do you see? Okay. Do you see what they've done to me? Do you see how much pain they've caused me? And you're telling me that you want me to forgive again. When is enough enough, Lord? And last week I went through another hurt. And I said to the Lord, mm -mm, no way, done, finished, not doing it anymore. I don't care if your pleasant path leads to pleasant paces. This is pretty miserable. It's miserable, Lord. And it hurts me to the core of my being. And you're telling me in your word, you keep taking me back and say, forgive again. And I'm like, are you kidding me? No. Heart and heart. Closing my ears, Lord. Not listening. I have a right. Certainly, you understand I have a right. Justified, Lord. But harden your heart, Rhea. Turn a deaf ear to what I'm telling you to do. And so I did. 
Can I even begin to tell you how miserable I was? Leslie, was I miserable? I, I was miserable. Like, not happy, right, Dave? Like, miserable. Mean, growly, testy, bitter. Oh, bitter. Like, bitter. I could almost hear the Lord chuckling as I studied these scriptures. Harden your heart, Rhea. Go right ahead. I'm going to send a plague. <laughs> a plague of bitterness. A plague of misery. Just like those gnats tormented the Egyptians. <laughs> you see, the Bible says in... Um, oh, I'm going to lose the scripture because I don't have it in my notes. But um, the, the parable of the unmerciful servant. <laughs> you see, the, the, this servant was forgiven this large debt by his master a debt that he couldn't repay. And then that servant who had been forgiven this massive debt <laughs> goes out and finds somebody that owes him this little itsy bitsy teeny amount of money and he chokes him. And that, that, that man that owed him the money said, please have mercy on me. I'll pay you back as soon as I can. And, and the unmerciful servant says, no, you owe me and I'm going to throw you in jail until you can pay me back. And so some people overheard that and they went back to the master and they said, do you know that that servant who you forgave this massive debt found somebody that owed them just a little tiny bit and, and he choked him and threw him into jail until he could pay him back? And the master, who is a picture of God, said, I'm going to turn him over to the tormentors until he realizes the debt that he's been, been released of, that he will not do that to somebody else. My refusal to forgive because, you see, God forgave this massive debt in my life. And the person who keeps hurting me, they owe me a debt as well that I refuse to forgive. I want to collect on. And so God says, Rhea, I'm going to have to turn you over to the tormentors. I'm going to let you be tormented by your bitterness and your unforgiveness and your anger until you choose to forgive that debt just like I forgave yours. Plague. Tormentors like those gnats. But does that flesh it out? I can give you some more if you'd like. Forgiveness is just a big one. Anxiety. Don't be anxious about anything, but through prayer, petition, and with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the God of all peace will, will guard, garrison your hearts and your minds with peace that passes all understanding. But if you choose to be anxious and don't obey that command, what's going to happen? Unrest, lack of peace, lack of joy. Leslie, what's your scripture? Heaviness of heart leads to depression. You choose not to cast that care on me, that plague of depression will come. That plague of, uh, of lack of peace, of lack of joy will come. You want me to keep going? You got it? God's commands are not burdensome. When he tells us to do something, he means it. He says judgment without mercy will be shown to those who judge without mercy. I'm giving you a command. Don't judge without mercy because you don't want to reap it. It's a plague you don't want. I can keep going. Got the principle. It's good. Anyway, Ian, it's all yours. You can close out and have a wonderful week. I'll see you next week.